Hey guys, if you're into obscenity, that it doesn't make you a bad person. If you need some obscenity in your life, just call me, email me, send me a voice, send me an obscene voicemail. Talk dirty to me. Ask me what I'm wearing. Whatever you want to do. We can do business obscenity-wise is my point. But first, send the kids out of the room. All right. On with the show. Um, do you I feel watch- like you're like alone in the city, like I night am. out? Yeah. So I was – What's the theme music for the – For, for the, my day in New For York? the montage of Mark <laughs> in New York? <laughs> it's actually 99 Luft Balloons. I'm just staring in the sky. It's- Hello, Jews and other humans. This is Unorthodox. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever – by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butner. Hello. And Senior Writer Liel Leibowitz. All of that. To my you, left. Have you p- positioned that for Thursday, though? Uh, it's a whole week. It's a, so it's like a birthday. It's like your birthday when you're seven. When you celebrate Israel's Independence Day, you start around it February. Five and days you, out. You end sometime in July. Happy Omer, by the way. The Omer just keeps on giving. Keeps, keeps on rolling. Lagba Omer will be very good. Our Jew of the Week is food writer Joan Nathan. Uh, Joan's new book is King Solomon's Table, a culinary exploration of Jewish cooking from around the world. And our Gentile of the Week is one of my personal favorite writers, Rob Sheffield, who is the author of many books, including the new Dreaming the Beatles. So if you like food or the Beatles, this is your week. Basically, if you're human, this is... This this is this one's for you. Rob Sheffield, I feel, is is a sort of a bizarro Mark Oppenheimer, you know? Is he Which like is a Catholic Mark Oppenheimer? Yeah, like two clicks music and he's writer. Oppenheimer. <laughs> change a Jew like one notch into Catholic, <laughs> change religion one notch into pop music. You basically got Mark. Except, Marked. except as you'll see when he walks in, the guy's like six foot nine. Like nobody oh, yeah, looks that, less like me know. than Rob than Who Rob. Who has better hair? Uh we well, you know, Rob has shorter hair, but it's strong. It's an mm. interesting color. It's a kind of burnished Auburny. He has better hair. Oh my! I'll say it. Um, anyway, what's up? The goyim improve. What's on everything? They, they do. They're Guys, taller, leaner. I did meaner. something amazing last night. I went to see. <laughs> speaking of Gentiles, um, I went to see Israel Story, which is a podcast in the Tablet family as well. Um, they did a live show with the JCC Manhattan. And it was incredible. I hadn't been to one of their live shows, regrettably, but it was just amazing. And Mishi Harmon was just sort of emceed the show. It was Speaking of a man with great hair. He, oh, he has an incredible hair. Those curls. Oh, yeah. Oh, you that's never, a big, never seen Jufro. No. He has a big, big, fucked up Jufro. No, it's just beautiful curls. Yeah. And I was just it's staring ringlets. at it because I was yeah. sitting in the way back because it was like full house. You just want to run your hand yeah. through it. It's it's incredible. Very but so so this is a show that and they're taking it on the road to like a bunch of other JCCs and it's called Melting Pot and it was and it's for Yum Hot's mood, but it's just really, really fascinating. And I oh, love that they're great. I and I think it. everyone who listens to us should probably just take that app out, pause this, download Israel Story. Okay, we're back. Regret it. They just paused it. They yeah. just downloaded Israel Story. And we're back. We're back. News of the Jews. After Israeli Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman called Kim Jong-un a madman, North Korea retaliated by threatening Israel with, quote, merciless thousandfold punishment. I just want to know what would that look – what do you think the thousandfold Thousandfold punishment, punishment sounds like. like a great name of like a spa treatment. And we have the thousandfold punishment, which is a Swedish massage Where with hot stones. Where they get into your folds, into your skin folds. That's exactly right. <laughs> Or is it a very large man <laughs> massaging you? With and his he thousand folds. Uh, Roger Waters of Pink Floyd and Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth signed a letter to Tom York of Radiohead asking Radiohead not to play Israel. I have to say, I am so bored of, with stories about Roger Waters. I don't really understand who he is. <laughs> I I just know he hates Israel. And I also hate this genre of like 
old rock musicians boycotting Israel. It's like, fine. <laughs> I don't care. Like Lady Gaga's coming, like Britney Spears. Like you got, we got. Like, well, that, that brings us to a very important news item, which is. Which is probably the most, if we're serious, <laughs> probably the most important news item of the year. Which is that the Israeli Labor Party, there's a Labor Party still? There is somewhat of a Labor <laughs> Party. Has postponed their, what, their primaries? Because, their, their big primaries. Because of the Britney Spears concert. Um here I'm quoting the New York Post. The Israeli Labor Party announced Wednesday that it will postpone its July primaries by a day to avoid clashing with a Tel Aviv concert by pop singer Britney Spears. Former party leader and defense minister Amir Peretz said the eight candidates stood no chance of competing with the 35-year-old star on July 3rd when she will appear at Hayarkon Park. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted Hayarkon. to know uh, the state of the Israeli left, there it is. There it is. They, they cannot overperform. <laughs> yeah. Oops, it's Oops. bougie again. You voted for him. Um, I kind of envy a country where there's that level of respect for the arts. Like, they'll just bump the primary. Britney Spears is. Yeah, we should no, have done it's that like here. The four dudes who will actually, you know, care to go out and vote for Labor are definitely going to be. Are definitely going to be at the concert. Definitely. it's definitely. A they bunch just of... know their audience. <laughs> what is? Here's the question: For what performer would Likud postpone their primary? Who has oh. to play Israel so that Likud says no? Oh, who's like no. there? I can't. I don't. I don't know enough. Uh, Donald Trump. Is it Barbara Streisand? Is it oh, how? Come on, no. Well, no. It'll be it's an, a Ben Midler Israeli, Israeli. Did we celebrate Barbara Streisand's seventy fifth birthday on this podcast? I hope we did ago. not. Why? I'm not a Streisand. She has a mall in her house. She, she has is a, my icon. She has an underground doll she museum. She is hashtag goals. Also, she was like best friends with Shimon Peres. That is baller. Yeah, no, no. Speaking of baller, both. both. Oh, for, oh, set that one up. Two basketball stories. Um, first of all, former NBA star Ray Allen has joined the Holocaust Memorial Museum Council. Whatever that is, he's on the council. He's on the board. If I may he's say, on the board. when Jesus Shuttleworth himself joins the board, that's when you know the Holocaust is in good hands. Who's Jesus Shuttleworth? Oh wow. Stephanie Butnick. No, I, I got no. I got. I got. I got to let you do this. There's a, a movie about basketball called He Got Game, in which oh, Ray okay. Allen played I got a it. character. I think I've seen He Got Game. I just didn't remember. It's an amazing movie. It's Ray Allen's and like star turn. And it's he's very... an amazing, amazing human being and a great player. So every time he's in D.C., so like the Heat went in 2014 to meet Obama after they won the championship. He's taken his team to the Holocaust Museum That's there. Right. It's just amazing. Wow. That's the kind of guy he is. Yeah, he's really into it. Cool. Well, the the the, the commemoration of the Holocaust. And the, like, never again part. And August 13th through 16th, the National Basketball Association's Basketball Without Borders will hold a camp in Netanya, which will bring world peace because they're bringing together teenage basketball enthusiasts of Jewish, Arab, Druze, Bedouin, every possible background to shoot hoops and play horse. And it's going to be amazing. By the way, this, like, really puts the Maccabi games to shame. (laughs) It's like, hey, kid from Livingston, you're going to meet a kid. From Summit. <laughs> Although I imagine to be like, the Israelis are occupying the paint. Uh, we cannot continue with this game. <laughs> basketball. I, what, what basketball? If, if Israeli teams had actually like cool like American style names that represented, because it's all like, you know, Maccabi. Yeah, Hapolis, why is that? Because the these old school associations. But imagine. Because they're, they're named like, like soccer teams over there. Is the right. Problem. Yeah. The actual names of like, like cool names that represented who they were, like the Bnei Brak Benchers. Like they had like the, the names Bitar, that actually, Ilan, sort of like you know, bombers, bombers. Yeah, bombers. yeah they'd be the bombers. A the little, on, a little on the nose. Oops, I did it again. 
Stephanie, what's that? What's that beautiful invitation you're holding in your hand? Guys, the most amazing thing happened. We finally made it. We've arrived. We've arrived. That's we got it. invited to a beloved listener's daughter's bat mitzvah. No! And I feel so fulfilled. Like, I feel like what we've been doing is like, has not been for naught. Uh, Linda McGee, who's written us a few times. We've, yeah. uh, we've uh, Great correspondent. Yeah, she's a wonderful letter writer. We've read her letters on the air. Linda the and Jonathan. beautiful city of San Antonio. San Antonio, yeah. where my parents were married because my dad was in the army there. Really? Yeah. Well, this actually isn't about you. This is about Lillian, oh, who's okay. getting bat mitzvahed um, May 27th. We'll do, you know, we'll obviously shout her out closer to the day. But yeah. first of all, amazing, amazing invitation. Can I see it? So cute. So very cute. poppy. Very Multicolored. Like, and yeah, yet tasteful. And yeah, and yeah. yet tasteful. And I just want to say, I can't make it. But I'm like really sad that I can't be there. I also want to say, and you didn't mention this, but we have been asked to join in celebration with their family as their daughter, Lillian Stephanie, is called to the Torah as a bat mitzvah. Yes. Stephanie is a strong middle name. I mean, we don't think of it as a middle name option. And yet Lillian Stephanie Magid is becoming a woman that day. I like that. Listeners, we love it when you invite us to things. One of these days, we're going to make it to one of these things. Nothing would please us more. Lillian Stephanie... Here's what we what we wish for you as you enter womanhood. Call me. <laughs> we wish for I'll you. Explain, I'll what explain. I'll explain it to you. Okay, Stephanie. What yes. advice do you have for Lillian? What do you wish upon, someone upon, had told so, you when you up, were 12? Upon her womanhood. So I think someone should tell her that like high school doesn't matter. Like it's important to do well, but like social – I feel like people think that high school is like the end of the world. Like everything is so important. And I think the reality is like – it's not. And everyone always says, like, you know, you don't want to be one of those people who who says high school is the best time of their life. And that's true. Like, I, I think that the, the like, social structure of high school is just, like, irrelevant in the world. And and to just, like, remember. It's really hard to remember that because it's four years of, yeah. like, being in a place. But it's like you need to remember that there is an end to it. Mm-hmm. Also, you might like high school. I don't know. Did you also, like high school? Mm, no. I sort of was, like, over it by, like, sophomore year. Uh-huh. Let me guess who loved high school. Moi? Oh, Moi? But that's because I love everything. That's right. That's yeah, right. yeah, you I like do. were really, like, I feel like you, you like, had, like, school spirit. Oh, my God. In the moment, so we're trying to pull my 25th reunion together right now because it's next month. It's supposed to be next month. And uh, it's coming together a little bit late. But, of course, I loved it. But here's the thing, Lillian, is I feel like, yeah, you want to you enjoy it for what it is, but also float above it a little bit and realize that it would be very sad if these were the best years of your life. College will be better and life will be better than college. Can we all agree on that? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you went to college. Some terms um, and restrictions may apply. <laughs> School spirit up for the Alpha step, omega step, kappa step, sigma step, gangsters walk, pimps gon' talk. Oh, heck you know, that boy is raw. AKA step, delta step, SGO step, Zeta step, gangsters walk, pimps gon' talk. Oh, heck you know, that boy is raw. I'ma get on this TV, mama. I'ma, I'ma put this down. Can you hear me? Yes, oh, hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hi, who's there? I'm, this is Stephanie. I'm with Liel and Mark. Hello, hello, Great. hello. The hi, same hi. gang you got in at the Washington JCC. Do you have a few minutes to chat with us? Okay, great. Um, Our Jewish guest this week is cooking legend Joan Nathan. She is Tablet's food columnist and the author of the brand new cookbook, King Solomon's Table, a culinary exploration of Jewish cooking from around the world. Welcome, Joan. Thank you. Thank you. So to start us off, what do you mean by King Solomon's Table? Okay, so I went to Kochi, India 
and um, I was at, at the synagogue, and there it said the Jews had been in India since the time of King Solomon. And I went, oh. <laughs> so I started examining what was going on in the ancient world and also just thinking about how food traveled. And I realized that Jewish food really started in a big way with King Solomon because when he built the temple, he needed beautiful things and he needed spices and he needed precious jewels and he needed peacocks, whatever. So he went, sent people, emissaries out from Jerusalem to the rest of the world, to India, to other places, and they brought them back. So it's like the ultimate Amazon Prime. (laughs) I'm going to use that. The ultimate Amazon Prime. And he took the 12 tribes of Israel and he had them look. um, For Each of them had a a month that they had to go out like a scavenger hunt, right? All over to bring things back to him. And the Jews had learned about boats and about using boats from the Phoenicians. So they sent out these day boats, D-E-O-G-H, that went by the trade winds over the Arabian Sea to the Indian Ocean. And they found cinnamon, and they found ginger and cardamom and all these wonderful spices that were used for eating, but also they were the ancient Viagra. They, you know, they they were good for you. So I thought I would start there. So, so Joan, what are some of the countries that this book took you to, and some of the more surprising places that we don't always think about um, have have Jewish heritage? Well. El Salvador, 100 Jews there, but they have some distinctive, wonderful recipes. Um, they have like yucca latkes with Whoa. cilantro cream. Oh, wow. That's and amazing. then I had this wonderful, <laughs> actually a German dish. It was called Schokoladewurst. That's a real mashup. Food. Yeah, and that, that recipe is Ch- in tablet. Chocolate right. sausage, exactly. right? Exactly, last week. Kosher sausage. Right, kosher it's, sausage. Because it's chocolate. Chocolate sausage. And it came from Germany um, in the 30s to um, Brazil, somebody escaping Germany. And um, then she married somebody who was a German Jew living in El Salvador because somebody opened a German Jewish um, department store in the 1870s. So they kept bringing people to work in the department store, which is still there. In El Salvador? In El Salvador. Wow. And then um, then they, this woman made this emblematic dish every Friday night. Now the woman's in her 90s. People come over to her house for Friday night dinner and her relatives. So she has frozen, she has, of course, an El Salvadorian helping her make these dishes, these chocolate uh, salami. And... Um, <laughs> They slice them and they serve. They're really good. But the thing is that this woman 
I'd be willing to bet that the, uh, her El Salvadorian helpers make these dishes at home for their own family. Right. I mean, make that chocolate worst and maybe the yucca latkes. So, Joan, you're you're now in Chicago for the James Beard Awards, like the Oscars of the food world. I've always wondered, what's that like? Is is there a red carpet? Are people dressed up? Is there like animosity? Are there chefs you can't stand? Like. Take us behind the scenes of this intriguing event. Well, first of all, there is red carpet. Secondly, last night... So who did was, you wear, Joan? <laughs> what? Who did I wear? Yeah, I mean, do you have a designer gown for the red carpet? Oh, or? no, but I, had, actually, I came late because I had a book signing. And, uh, <laughs> That's the way to do it. And, and I, I, I wasn't very dressed up. But last night, I have to tell you, the Jews... Um, dominated the whole they thing. Swept. I mean, dominated. Michael Solomonov, best. Ma- right. You know. Michael Solomonov was chef of the year. Wow. Amazing. Daniel Rose was best new restaurant. Stephen Starr was best restaurateur. Um, so we're oh, doing to cooking Zach what we did to Engel media and, and the bank. Rising star. Mark Furstenberg from Washington was bread first best baker. So we rocked last night. So now, now let me let me let me ask you this. A lot of a lot of these people, I'm betting, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm betting all of these people. They probably grew up on your work, right? Are you sitting there and thinking like, look what I know, done. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Do they kiss the ring? Yeah, this is me, yo. Well, they actually sometimes they call me the mother of Jewish cooking in America or the grandmother. I said I don't want to be grandmother. Yeah, no, we're 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 going with mother. You're the sister of Jewish (laughs) cooking in America, Joan. (laughs) The slightly older sister. So, so let me ask you, what what is it? Why is that? Why do you think this dominance? Why are you here at the finest, you know, food Oscars and everyone winning is Jewish? What are we doing right, other than reading Joan Nathan and eating delicious? Right, of course, they're reading Joan Nathan. Um, I think. I'll tell you what I think. I think that, first of all, in the 60s, when they changed the assignation of of chef from blue-collar worker to white-collar worker, Jewish mothers were very happy because (laughs) your son didn't have to be a lawyer or a doctor, but it was a little bit too early for that because uh, I think it was in the 80s that you know, being a chef started to be important because of all these TV shows and blah, blah, blah. And it's just grown and grown and grown. And they, you know, they realize that this is a profession for a lot of ADD people, for sure, um, that they could make, you know, they could be creative, uh, they could do well. Um, there's, you know, it's it's just changed. It's, it, it was unbelievable how many how many Jewish chefs I was talking to last night, and and all of them, I the ones who were getting the awards. I have to tell you, I've written about. <laughs> so that was nice for me. So Joan, let me let me ask you. You're 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 magnanimous and nice. So you, you probably won't want to answer it, but but we're going to try and make you. So here's the thing. Here you are, and and you know so much, and you've studied so much, and you take such care. And yet we live in this era, it seems to me, following the food scene 
closely that there are a lot of, you know, quote unquote, food mavens that like spring out of stars overnight because they have social media following or they have a cute shtick on YouTube. And, you know, they don't really know much or care much or have any real expertise and they get tremendous, tremendous amount of exposure. Are, are, are you incensed by this? Are you livid? Is, is this destroying the profession? Please say yes, and and then you know, give us uh, you some know, dirt. You know, I I really, I mean, you know, what am I going to say? I mean, I I think that there are those who I, actually I have to tell you the fact that um, my book King Solomon's Table is according to Politics and Prose the best independent bookstore in the country, selling like matzah hotcakes. It's not a superficial book at all. And it makes me think that, well, you know, there, there's some really good stuff out there, and pe- and there are people that really want to learn. So, you know, my mother always said that the cream rises, and you know that's what we have. To, it doesn't incense me. It's you know I don't even care. So you're brought up on, on, on food on food metaphors, is what you're telling <laughs> us. You were predestined for this. The cream rises, but only in the milk dishes. Joe Nathan's latest cookbook is King Solomon's Table, a culinary exploration of Jewish cooking from around the world, and it is excellent. Thank you so much, Joan. Thanks, Joan. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> bye. bye. Sacrificing the land for the nutrition. Criminology 101, hunk of a newest edition. Nuclear fission is heavyweight, he top the division. Lots of provisions, colossal status, stop the collisions. To Boku, fresher than a late trout. Barbecue the venison, pair it with a great style. Peace, I'm out here, the motherfucking place out. Every time I Take that motherfucking weapon from my waist Ow, ow, ow Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. And now our Gentile of the Week, Rob Sheffield. Rob is very Gentilic. Uh, he's Boston Irish. He's one of 17 children, right? Uh, no. How many? Six? I think it's up to about 23 now. <laughs> how many siblings do you have? Uh, I have three younger siblings, three, three younger sisters. There are only four of Pray you? Pray for me. In my yes. mind, that's there like, were like... That's like an Oppenheimer. That's, that's just yeah. my family. Yeah. That's not it's even that loud Irish. as 17. Three, <laughs> one Irish sister is like an army of, of anybody else. Um, he dropped out of English lit grad school and then became... He basically did what everyone wants to do when they drop out of grad school, which is become a rock critic. And <laughs> it didn't quite work out for me because I finished grad school. If I dropped out, could, I could have written for Rolling Stone. Um, he's the author of one of my favorite books ever, Love is a Mixtape. Uh, and he's also the author of... Of talking to girls about Duran Duran, and which recent, is fantastic, which is fantastic, and a recent book on David Bowie, which I read by the pool this summer. Not my, we don't have a pool, but our neighbor Nancy Ahern, Mrs. Ahern, has a pool, and I read it by the pool. Um, and now dreaming by of, a Gentile's pool. 
Yes, yeah. yes, the Gentiles let us as it was intended. And now he's the author of Dreaming the Beatles: The Love Story of One Band and the Whole World. It is one of the great pleasures of my jobby job that I get to interview favorite writers of mine. So welcome, Rob. Thank you. It's it's great to meet you guys, and great great to see you again, Mark. How does it feel to be the Gentile of the week on a Jewish podcast? It's a real honor. It's a real honor. That's the right it's, answer. It's, it's, it's like time tripping back to college for me. <laughs> being the Gentile. And we're like, shalom. (laughs) And we're like looking up because you're so tall, we can't even see you. Hello. Um, Okay, so the argument of this book is basically, well, there are many arguments, but the Beatles broke up and you say, and I didn't know this, that circa 1971 or so, 70, 71, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that they were going to be like the Beatles, that in fact people were sort of, the Beatles themselves were running from being the Beatles and that the rest of the world like just wasn't that sure. But then it happened, right? Yeah, it's kind of amazing that the Beatles are still the biggest and most famous band in the world. And it's really strange. When I was a little kid in the 70s and 80s, and my sisters and I wanted to listen to the Beatles all the time. And our parents thought it was hilarious. And they would always tease us and say, don't you know that band broke up? They don't exist anymore? It would be sort of like wanting to listen to In Excess all the time now? Or like, what's that's, the analog? That's, it's that's like... what it seemed like to my parents. And yet it's funny that you know, that was a, a worldwide thing that we just rejected the whole, it's it's like cute that you Beatles, it's cute that you want to break up, that's sweet, <laughs> go for it, but we're going to keep loving you. And it's funny that now my sisters have little kids who are toddlers and tweens and the Beatles are their favorite band. It's you a know, really strange thing. I have committed far fewer songs to memory than you, but it is interesting when I was, when my oldest daughter, Rebecca, was about one, I remember sitting on the porch with her and I was holding her and I was trying to soothe her and I was petting her hair. And you're and like, just, helter skelter. No, <laughs> 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 Ticket to ride. That no. would have been funny. <laughs> and I just started singing Here Comes the Sun. It just, like, it just came out. Do you and know that Here Comes the Sun was playing, this is not my story, it's my sister's story, but when my father, when my sister was born, my dad was driving over the Brooklyn Bridge to the hospital or like the few days later and Here he had Comes the Sun. had it on CBS 101. Here Comes the Sun came on and he was and he had just had his first daughter and it like that is like seared in there like it plays oh, all the time. So yeah. It's amazing. I think they danced to it at her wedding. Like it's, I don't know. Yeah, for my parents it was uh, everyone's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this happen? Like why? It's it's really fascinating. So much of it has to do with their their personalities and their music. I, I can't claim I understand this mystery, but I just wanted to understand it a little better. And a, a lot of books have been written about the Beatles in the 60s. I wanted to write more about the Beatles after the 60s, how the Beatles kept happening in the 70s and kept happening in the 80s and keep happening now. You know, I was just up in Boston over Christmas, and my nephew, who is 10, he showed me, uh, he just built the Lego yellow submarine. Oh, my God. I, uh, unbelievable. It, it just keeps on going. So, Rob, you're, 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 you're a church-going man, right? You're, you're, a, you're a man of faith. You're a believer. Let's, let's, a Roman Catholic? Let's put, right, let's, yeah. put, let's put facts aside, because I, I really do think they're meaningless here. Talk, talk spirit to us. Uh, what is it about them? And let's begin with you. When did you have your first moment of true well it it was a spiritual thing i was uh, five years old and i was watching a movie called help Mm -hmm. which is their second movie which is a very cartoonish kids movie the beatles themselves disavowed it but uh i loved it i was watching it with my grandmother it begins with a scene of the four of them singing the song help and i was just so uh, astounded by the voices and the way they're they're voices combined and they were a group of men standing up adult men and one is telling this really personal confessional story help i need someone and the others are joining in the sort of harmonies that they have like uh, they're telling his story along with him and just that sort of communion that those four boys had together was just astounding to me and, and it just opened up my heart really 
And you're sitting there at five looking at them thinking like there is, there is truth and beauty. Yes. Right here it, on the screen. Yes. Yeah. Truth and beauty. You have that very moving chapter in there about the scream, about how they, they gave America permission to go crazy. They gave the world permission to go crazy. When you went to a Beatles concert, um, you could just scream for half an hour, 40 minutes, and they couldn't hear what they were singing and you couldn't hear what they were singing. And that wasn't the point. And I read that. It was struck me as kind of poignant because – I don't know if this is just age and being out of touch, but I've often thought that Michael Jackson was the last person who got that kind of scream. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, are there are there do he the boy never went to a One Direction concert? I guess not. Of but, blessed absolutely. memory. But yes. do they get the scream like that? Can they? Feel- oh, they get the scream. Oh, they get the scream. Uh, it was I've, I've seen One Direction live a couple times. I've seen Taylor Swift live a few times. She gets the scream. I've I've never heard anything like it. And I saw you know. The Backstreet Boys. Like 16-year-old girls are still passing out at concerts, is what you're saying. Yes, they are. Absolutely. And they go there to scream. Now they're much more self-conscious of themselves because they have the internet to communicate to each other. Yeah, they're like Snapchat, and they're like, if I scream too loud, no one will be able to hear her on the Snapchat. Yeah, and it's amazing that they have a sense of themselves as a tribe, as as fandom, like as a noun. We are the fandom, and very much... uh, a growing sense of confidence in themselves as the ones who make these bands matter. And the bands themselves know it. But the screaming at a One Direction show, it's like being inside the engine of a jet plane for two hours. And it's yet the Beatles stand alone, right? Yeah. What, what do they embody? I mean, this is, these are arguments that are, that are in the book, uh, but for the, for the privilege of our listeners who are only now buying the book as they're listening on Amazon. Um, <laughs> what, what do they embody? What, what, is the, what is the church of John, George, Paul, and Ringo? Well, so much of it has to do with curiosity and growing up it's funny that the beatles begin their four innocent mop tops and their music provides a sort of a map of growing up that they by the end of the 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 road they're uh, adult guys they're a little battle weary they've got longer hair they they frown a lot of the time they write really scary songs sometimes about piggies and walruses and they and we watch them grow up and we hear them grow up through their records and they offer sort of a map of that journey from innocence to experience that that we grow up with. Is there any other band that has, I mean, they went through three or four different iterations, at least image-wise, right? And is there any other band that has done that? I mean, it was, it was all of, of eight years, basically, right? Eight or nine years, they, they went from those mob tops to being like the seekers in India to being the world-weary husbands. Who does that now? I mean... One Direction's probably been together about 10 years exactly. I don't, They're I don't not together like, anymore. But, but Zane went solo. They had 10 years. They had a good Zane decade. So, it's so, so funny. Zane went solo and Zane did the John Lennon post-band <laughs> thing, whereas yeah. Harry Styles is doing the Paul McCartney post-band thing. Uh, but they invented everything. As yes, you know, the they Beatles invented everything. Um, but also the idea that the Beatles invented that is still the, the, the dominant mode of pop music now is, is the album as your personal journey statement, where you are, you know, this is the next step in my creative evolution. That's who I was last year. This year, I'm someone different. I have grown. This is who I am right now. And, and Here's Lemonade. Yes, exactly. And it, Which is weird because we live in an era when we thought the album as a statement was going to go away because everything is disaggregated. You can just, just get songs, right? Ten years yeah. ago, people said, well, the album, what's the album, right? The kids it's, don't know about the album. It's hilarious how wrong all of us so-called experts were. Uh, about that, that we thought, you know, kids, kids today don't have the patience to listen through an album, which is funny because at, at no other period in, in pop music have people, listeners, including very much kids, concentrated so much on an album all the way through as a statement, like Beyonce's Lemonade or, or 
Taylor Swift's Red in 1989. Taylor Swift does this thing in her albums of uh, capitalizing stray letters on the lyric sheet so that if you put the capital letters together, you get the secret secret message message of every song. The last time she released an album, (laughs) my niece, uh, who is 14, she sent me all the 1989, the the secret messages for each song by by lunchtime. And it's like, Harry. Yes, yes. (laughs) Or, uh, you know, one song, Shake It Off, is, is... uh, she danced to find herself, you know, like uh, all, all these secret messages that you definitely know because is, she decoded them. Actually, I'm yes. a real I'm a Swifty. You're a Swifty. Well, Swifty my middle too. name is Taylor. So I go by Stephanie Taylor Swift. <laughs> so the this idea that they were done with being in the Beatles and we were not done letting them be the Beatles and still aren't. Does that mark a shift in like the consumer as like this voice? Like all of a sudden we're saying like we get to decide what's going to happen with your band. Absolutely. The Beatles sort of united, half accidentally, half on purpose, sort of united this gigantic audience around the world. They created the the most massive audience for a a musical performer that had ever existed, and then consistently kept growing and changing and sort of challenging that audience to keep up with them. And it was genuinely surprising to all four of them when they broke up and they said, okay, this is done. We renounce this. We're moving on to our real lives now. That was childhood. Because they were 31 or 32, (laughs) right? It was time to go get serious, right? Yes. And and they all had their different projects. And Ringo was like, I'm going to be a movie star. And George is like, I'm going to raise spiritual consciousness worldwide. (laughs) Or like, right. Yes. And John is like, I am going to foment the revolution. And Paul is like, I'm going to go on tour with Wings. And... (laughs) Uh, and and have a whole new slew of hits and refuse to play Beatles songs on stage. And they and all... John and Paul are both like, and we're going to let our wives play. Our no talent wives get yes. to play also, which is kind of a, amazing. And That's one of their innovations <laughs> that you know no other male rock stars who came from that generation had anywhere near that kutzba to do something like that. Is say, yep, we're breaking up the band and we're going to now make music with our wives. Can you imagine? I don't know. Pick any band. Can you imagine the Rolling Stones doing that? Right. Can you imagine Keith Richards? Uh, right. uh, uh, well, now, now, them, it's have... me and, and Anita Pallenberg. Like Mick is doing a band with Between Bianca them, they have, enough, they have enough wives. Yeah, they do. They do. Their wives could start bands. Tour so, with all so, the wives. So I got to tell you, you know, the, the, the most uh, meaningful conversion of, of my life, and I've had a few, wasn't you know going from being somewhat uh, a left winger to a right winger or from being you know morbidly obese to just normally obese. Uh, it secular was, Jew to it, slightly it was, less it secular was, Jew. It was, it was really going from John to Paul. Um, wow! I, I I used to think John was uh, was the sort of you know the the emotional uh, engine of of this band, and and I grew up to feel uh, that he is a horrible horrible human being, uh, and to understand qualities about Paul McCartney that are much more you know workaday, um, writing songs that you know Lennon famously called grandma shit, right? Because it's like music that's just happy and nice. Um, but but really 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 profoundly human and humane and kind did did you did you go through processes like this thinking about them and listening what changed about the beatles for you writing about writing this book well that your beatles always change as that's right keep changing and it's funny that when i was growing up in the 80s paul mccartney was at his all-time low in terms of his public image he made a lot of crummy records in the 80s i will defend say 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 by the way okay i will not defend say 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 but i will fight Uh, fight yeah, in fact, I don't even want to hear you defend Say Say Say. <laughs> At least I wasn't defending I've got my mind set on you. Uh, okay, The Girl Is Mine is so much better than Say Say you're Say. Right, if, you're right, you're right, you're right. Fair enough. I Marco, keep... we're not going to fight about this. <laughs> Paul, I think I told you. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, it, it was a time when uh, that John was canonized very much at the expense of right. Paul in the 80s. And 
I was always sticking up for Paul as my favorite Beatle in a way that partly was probably teen contrarianism. And yet, Paul has always been, to me, uh, just a so much more complex figure than people give him credit for. And even look at at the way he conducted his solo career. And mm-hmm. he took very seriously the idea of his wife as a creative partner, even when she had no musical training and, and hardly any musical interest, much less <laughs> musical talent. But it was very important for him to sort of create a new paradigm of rock adult malehood, right. uh, which it involved taking ideals seriously that other rock servers of his generation just wore his ornaments. You know, he actually tried living on a farm. He actually tried having a marriage that was a real marriage. He 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 really uh, he took these things to heart. And I think when you see him play live today, you you totally get that. This is a man who is who is here to make you feel good. There are, I really think, very few rock stars, especially of that caliber, who who emote quite quite so much. So so have you? only grown in your appreciation? Have you found new love for John, uh, new hate for John, uh, some weird thing about Ringo that you didn't think? <laughs> <laughs> I still love John. I love them all. It's funny. Um, for me, George is an increasingly large part of my wife because I, my, George, my wife is that. madly in love with George. I got that there's a real respect for, or there's a sort of brewing respect for George in this book. Yes. George has always been someone I identified with, felt threatened by, felt mystified by, in, in in ways, they all affect me like that. But it's funny that George, for me, because George is the one my wife always talks about. And, and when <laughs> so I was you've select- had to accept him. Yes. When I was selecting photos for the book, I, I said to my editor, I said, George has to get a full-page photo of just himself looking hot. So let, let me ask you this. Um, it seems to me, and, and again, this is this is a, a premise of your book, but um, that there is something about the Beatles music that, that ages significantly different than other music. I mean, when you listen today to Satisfaction, say, right, you're very well aware that you're looking at or listening to a relic, right? This is something that belongs to a certain period in time. The Beatles music is not that. You know, I remember the first time I listened to Revolver, it was on a class trip to the Negev Desert. Um, <laughs> and I was just sitting there and, you know, with my yellow Sony Walkman and like my mind was just being blown. Um, what, what is it? Uh, because it's not just the image or the, the cultural moment. There's something inherent about the music itself. What? It's weird because I've heard so many of my friends who are musicians who have kids and then they want to have the conversation of it freaks me out a little bit how much my toddler loves the Beatles, especially when I'm trying to get them into something like the Stones or Dylan or Springsteen. In my experience with my nieces and nephews, trying to get them into the Stones or Dylan or Springsteen, they sit there politely and nod their heads like they're studying something. And the Beatles, it just hits them instinctively. They discovered on their own. My niece, who is a hardcore Swifty, she's the one who deciphered the messages. She started playing guitar because she wanted to be like Taylor Swift. And she was playing me this song last summer. And she said, this is kind of nice. And it it was called Blackbird. And I was like, (laughs) Have you heard of it? I know that song. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And it's funny. Some music has that Fleetwood Mac, very similar. Like, it does not sound uh, dated from the past to... uh, I actually agree with that. I think think that um, rumors totally hold mm -hmm. up, I think. And and something about the sort of... It's like, could have been made yesterday. Yes. And and something that Fleetwood Mac and the Beatles have in common is the sense that there's this beautiful friendship, beautiful love bond at the heart of it. You know, Stevie and Lindsay and Fleetwood Mac, John and Paul and the Beatles, and that they make music that comes out of that that profound connection, that that deep love between between two people, and that as they grow older and conflict starts to enter that friendship, that 
affects the music in ways that are sometimes very heartbreaking to hear. And I think that's really the emotional story of the music, that sort of deep, deep love between John and Paul that neither of them understood and that they tried very much to get away from when they broke up and were really mystified and to I, find that it followed them around. I learned from your book that they met on Men Love Avenue. That was like yes. the initial meeting was on Men Love Avenue. So one of our recurring features is we like it when um, our Gentile of the Week brings a question to us because, you know, we are a certified panel of international Jewish experts. The high, the, the chief rabbi of Israel has actually deputized us to answer the questions of wayward, oh, right. wayward Gentiles. Is there anything about Jews or Judaism or Jewish culture, anything at all that we could tell you that you've always wondered about our people? Well, uh, the, the abundance of Jewish songwriters, Jewish singer-songwriters, something it's hard for any lover of popular music not to be fascinated by. I remember a great interview with uh, Randy Newman where they asked him point blank, are there any great non-Jewish songwriters? And he had to think for a minute. He said, oh, Neil Young. Neil Young's pretty good. <laughs> so, I, think, I think Joni Mitchell, but I'm not sure. Like, but um, I was about to say Paul Simon, then I remembered he's a big Jew. So But I guess I've always been curious what aspect of Jewish culture and what sort of the role of song in Jewish culture, does that have anything to do with just the... See, I think it's less about the role of song and more about the role of like stories and storytelling. Interesting. That is because Stephanie is a secular Jew. <laughs> so I, so wait, I think we should... Stephanie and I should each get an answer to this. And then the gentleman who's written a book on Leonard Cohen should get to bring, bring, bring us home. Yeah. And, you know, my answer to that would be that, um, you know, it's dealing with words is sort of quasi-respectable and professional in a way that actually going on stage and singing them is not if you're a Jewish kid in 1950 or 1960, that it was a little bit rebellious to go work at the Brill Building, but you weren't going totally off the reservation, you know, and imitating el- and swiveling your hips on TV. So I think there was a kind of prof- a moment where that was a, a quasi-respectable profession for rebellious, secular Jewish kids. But all right, now let me give you the right answer. Yeah, give us give me the right answer. Um, Enlighten us, you know, Rabbi. Uh, there, in 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 the old Hebrew temple, um, <laughs> there were really there's only one other class of of you know practitioner, aside from the Kohanim and the Levim, the two priestly classes, who was allowed into sort of the holiest you know of the holies, uh, and and these were the musicians. Um, the understanding being uh, quite profoundly, I think, that music does something to us that other forms of art don't. When when someone breaks your heart, you don't go and watch your favorite movie or look at your favorite painting, right? You close uh, the door and shut off the lights and you listen to your favorite music because it has that ability to hold tension, I think, theologically, emotionally, like no other art form does it. And you, Rob Sheffield, uh, understand that better than probably any other human being alive. Uh, and and <laughs> wow, so why you. is because it's it's built in for us uh, in into the setting. There are no images for us, graven images, if I may, uh, like <laughs> like you guys. They don't uh, have saints have, everywhere holding their eyeballs have, out. Have, have excel right. that, right? right? There are no, uh, there are really no other meaningful. There are chants, uh, and these chants are tremendously powerful. If you come to Shul and say Yom Kippur and, and you listen to some of the chants, uh, they they hold this kind of awe of So it goes back to the centuries. jazz singer. It goes back to Al, uh, Al Jolson bridging it goes back Cole to the Nidre temple, to... motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rob Sheffield, you've been amazing. Thanks for traveling up from Brooklyn all the way. We're, we're thrilled to bring you to the island of Manhattan. I have one Thank final so question that you could leave our listeners with. What, like, what act are you really excited about right now that everyone That's should go download? Question. Or stream or whatever people do these days. What, what musical? Yeah, musical. Oh my gosh. The new album by Power Bottom is phenomenal. Uh, Two like two two queer dudes uh, in glam glitter mode 
Uh, they, they, the amazing thing is he could be saying what uh, he could just be making up words right. completely. New York's hottest soft club. serve yogurt <laughs> is the band you should all be really into. We would never know. We'd be like, oh, you're so cool. It, it, it's a great time for for sort of uh, underground punk rock singer songwriters. Uh, Mannequin Pussy, can I say that? Yes, nice band you name? can. Yes, phenomenal. You've already said Power Bottom, so it's like we yep. can read between the lines. Power there, Bottom you know? and Mannequin, Mannequin Pussy. Pussy. All right, Lisa Prank, Radiator Hospital, Waxahachie. Great, great time for singer songwriters coming up from the underground punk rock scene. Uh, the book is Dreaming the Beatles. The writer is Rob Sheffield. Um, buy it, buy him, see it. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I look at you all. See the lover that's sleeping While my guitar gently weeps I look at the floor And I see it needs sweeping Still my guitar gently weeps Mazel tops? Um, I know we have a big communal yes. but yes. does each of us have a, a sub are we going to sub oh, Michael Solomonov for being the greatest chef alive we love you and adore you and admire you and, and my mazel tov is to uh, our loyal listener and dear friend of the Oppenheimers um, Rachel Leventhal Weiner whose birthday it is uh, this week and my, uh, my mini mazel goes to Ray Allen who you know get on that Holocaust uh, Museum board I respect that he's definitely the leading NBA player emeritus on the board of the Holocaust yes, Museum. Yes, he's making Amari look pretty for now, bad. Right. Yeah, yeah, for now. And then the group Mazel Tov oh, is man. to... The collective power Mazel Tov, yes. Stephanie. The power Mazel Tov. You, get, you take it away. Go ahead. Bethany Mandel, our beloved uh, former guest and, and fan of the show and friend of ours, had her... Uh, a few weeks ago, Liel, I think it was her due date, right? Or you gave her a Mazel Tov. That's right. But she didn't have her baby until, I think, Friday... On the side of the road, on the way to the hospital, her husband, Seth Mandel, delivered the baby. She posted pictures to Instagram. And it... Route 1 in New Jersey. That's what was amazing. It was wow. like, within five seconds, the pictures where she was Instagramming. I mean, she That's gave about... <laughs> birth in the front seat of that car. The kind of stuff that only you think happens in movies. <laughs> it, it really happens. Outside and of Bethany like Jeff's oil it, shop. Right? That, that was like a geotag <laughs> of the Instagram. It was amazing. What's amazing is the photo that she posted. I don't have Instagram, of course, but the one I saw on Twitter She's looking absolutely angelic. It's yeah. like, and, and you know, she didn't even have the whole Kate Middleton makeup crew. She just just looked aglow with. I mean, I don't even know like, how they did Mazel it. Tov but I'm, it's amazing. To the Mandels, Seth, Bethany, and, uh, yeah, and a shout out to Seth too, man, delivering a baby. <laughs> All I've she ever done. Great, is side of the, the road. T- the t- her tweet was Oof. like. If you ever need an editor who can also deliver a baby on the side of the road, <laughs> at Seth Mandel's your guy. So top that, Rab Sheffield. Yeah. Do, do you have a mazel tov for anyone? I have a mazel tov for Paul McCartney who just announced tour dates. He is uh, He's coming back on his tour in the fall. He's playing uh, three shows in the New York area, and he's playing he's playing all over the country. And it, it's a beautiful thing. Three hours. He, he yes. works so much harder than he, he has to. He still brings it. He loves to. I saw him last summer, and it was a spiritual experience. He, he ended, he played side two of Abbey Road all the way through. Oh all God. these people, all these different cultures, generations, ages, you know, everybody's doing me. the air drumming. Do you think drumming. he has, like, he has Beatles closure at this point? I don't. It's funny because he's so passionately engaged in it. He did a song for George. He played something on ukulele. Mm-hmm. He did a song yes. for George Martin, who had just recently passed away. He did Love Me Do. He, he did a song for John that is very touching. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he did a song for Linda, his his first wife. And it, it was it's amazing how much of his show he spent just doing songs of love to people that he loved who are dead. You know, he did Foxy Lady for Jimi Hendrix. And 
sort of carrying those dead people around with him in his heart. It's almost like that's part of his inspiration. Mazel tov, Paul. Mazel tov, Paul. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. Rabbinic supervision this week by the great Wendy Cohen. Kosher slaughtering by the whole team over at Fox News. They just have like kosher meat laid out all over the tables and they're just slaughtered. They're just hacking away. Find Tablet Magazine on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem, whom you should listen to more. We record in Argo Studios, which is voting for Macron in the French election. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Happy Omer and Shalom, friends.